Hey, this is Daniel. We've got a great conversation for you today. We chat about the future of worship in our church and how much production is too much production. We also talk with Ed Ochoa, one of our members, about his boxing career. So two weeks after I get injured, I get the call that every boxer wants, you know, to come fight at Madison Square Garden. And uh, I had to turn it down. Stick around for that interview and more here on the Following Faith podcast. Hey, all there, cool cats and kittens. This is the Following Faith <laughs> Podcast. This is the Following Faith Podcast. I'm Dan Jacobson, joined with uh, myself. I'm going to start over one more time. Oh, no. Oh, keep it. Well, keep it. Joined with myself. Joined with myself, myself in the royal we. <laughs> hey, this is the Following Faith Podcast. This is Dan Jacobson with Daniel Asher. Hello. And Scott Irwin. I just found out that you watched Dancing with the Stars. I watched Dancing with the Stars. Oh, it's on right now? It started it started the, you know, last night oh, we're recording this uh, the day after. Um, did you guys know that it's possible that this whole entire time that Dancing with the Stars has been a show, they've been pumping live audience what? applause in at specific moments of the show? Feels so cheated. Terrible. We should do that for uh, outside gatherings. I know. That would <laughs> Okay. Okay. So, real talk right now. <laughs> we've been we've been talking about doing worship at Verge, and, yeah. and worship at Verge at HP has been growing. Like, yeah, we've been building the culture of it, which just means like it's like pulling teeth sometimes. Sure. To get students to worship, which is which is good, and we're teaching we're teaching them how to do it. So, you add we're going outside now for at Verge. Yeah. And you add like the outdoor. It just it's just hard. It's a hard. Like, it, it's distracting. It's just hard. There's a distance. So we're brainstorming at a leader meeting, and uh, one of my leaders was like, "Well, why don't we just put some speakers in the back, and we'll just pump the sound back back in?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, we'll like add crowd noise. Yeah, and applause, like at the at my, yeah. games. At my lessons. Yeah, I know, I know. I actually thought it was a pretty good idea. But previous church that I served at, we um, installed microphones in the underhang of our balcony." And our room was big enough, wide enough, that there was probably 100 feet to 200 feet between uh, seating areas. And so we took one microphone from the left side of the building and put that audio in the right side of the back of the... Oh, that's pretty cool. And then we flipped it so that it sounded like there was, it was massive amount of congregational singing. Interesting. So how do we feel about that? Okay, this is, I was literally just yeah. going to ask you that. Uh, it, I don't, it doesn't come off well for me, like yeah, right off the bat artificial worship yeah to make you worship it's cool that they can do it i don't like that it's done it makes me you know uh that church elevation got busted a couple years ago for having impromptu baptisms yep and had like all come to find out they were all plants no yeah really which yeah. also is an old youth group trick that i used to do not with baptism <laughs> but with like with hey let's have, no oh. with like prayer you know like i'd, I'd be like oh, hey we're yeah. gonna have an impromptu moment of prayer like does anybody want to pray and i'd have like three people who i'd already told like hey we're gonna do an impromptu moment of prayer if yeah if nobody comes forward would you just pray yeah and that would always like get the ball oh, rolling man. but it makes it seem like uh everything is uh is legit mm -hmm. but well where, where does it end like it's just uh it's an i don't know because I've, I've heard tons of stories from churches that will uh just subtle they call it like just subtle manipulation yeah it's just really Sub it's just subtle subtle manip yeah. then you use manipulation yeah. you know it's just a subtle uh prompting like prompting, prompting yeah. is a <laughs> target word uh like turning on the ac to a comfortable like 60 degrees yeah, you feel the chills of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, there's, oh, there's some wild, wild yeah. game out there. One worship leader that I know wanted haze in an auditorium because he said it sucked people into worship. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, that that's so interesting. And and at what point are you, uh, you know, taking matters into your own hand and not letting the Spirit work and yeah. move in its yeah. own way? How do you create? And Daniel, maybe you can can speak to that more than anybody. Like, how do you create an atmosphere of worship or do you do anything? What yeah. a great question. Yeah. Man, I mean, we're the, getting right to it today. <laughs> the point of worship is, well, the point of the, the atmosphere, the, the environment is to point people's gaze and to raise their gaze towards something that's bigger than themselves. Uh, and there are certain tools that I think we, we can use to do that, to make people more comfortable uh, with singing. Um, 
man, it's, it's a, it's a tough question. I don't, I don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. Uh, man, I'm thinking about like, what, what are the, what are the biblical tools that God gives us to engage him in worship? Yeah. Like as I'm, I'm thinking like back through well, Old Testament. Yeah. The Old Testament worship. had, um, incense was a big one that I hear mm, to this right. point all the time. The smoke filled the tabernacle is one. Well, all the, these things, the all these things point us to tasting and seeing sensory. So, yeah. yeah so I, I think that the senses play, play a huge role. I mean, I think if you just look at a, a movie score that helps set the scene for its most important moments, um, I think God has allowed us ways um, in which we can set the scene in our hearts to have our gaze taken off of ourselves for a little while. Uh, tools, you know, that, that propel us towards the truth of who Jesus is. Uh, and I think that sound is a huge part of that. Um, I think that there's enough distractions already that beg for our attention, and we don't want to add to that. Um, we want to take away from that. You know, we want to direct us towards something that's that's far more meaningful. I I, I want to point to this past weekend where shout out to Chris Seagard Bing from Moody Radio, <laughs> Bing Bing, uh, who brought out a great sound system for us to use and be blessed by. Oh, I yeah. felt there was so much more encouragement for me to sing right. because I it wasn't that moment where like my own voice freaks me out. You know what I mean? Like a lot Amen. of people's own voice <laughs> yeah. freaks them out. And right. so they sing, they're like, is that oh, I really sound? But when there's this this um, all-encompassing sound where you feel enveloped by it, you mm. you fade away. And yeah, that you, like fading the, the away... Self, the self turns into the whole yeah. at that point. That's and right. I think that's one of our approaches is, is getting uh, someone to be comfortable enough in, the, in of themselves to take part in in the church and not see themselves. Because, you know, like, like, like you're saying, when you're outside... You hear yourself, mm -hmm. you hear only yourself. Mm -hmm. But there's a transcendent value to hearing the the larger church. Yeah. And you you kind of losing yourself in that. There's something super special and yeah. about that. So I'll I'll push back. Do you think um by not letting congregants become used to worshiping God in the way that they can, in their own voice, being able to hear their own voice, do you think we are uh, restraining people from spiritual growth in that way of like offering God the the worship that they can give, no matter what, no matter what it is, well, you know, no matter how feeble my my voice or that I can't sing on key. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think we make too much of music mm. uh, in in worship, right? Daniel, that, cover your ears. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I, I, but I do think we make too much of 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 that moment of the week. It's I'm, I'm, you know, I want to say worship. There's, I have my grandfather ringing in my ears. Is there anything more important than worship? I remember sitting in his living room on a Sunday morning, and my whole family was late to get ready, and he was pacing back and forth, looking at his watch every three seconds, going, "Is there anything more th more important than worship? Is there anything?" And he's mm. just stopped, and he looked at me, and was like, "Is there anything more important than worship? Like, certainly, someone tell me." Yeah. So I, I don't think that there is. I think it's the ultimate expression, and even the catechism, we've we've talked about this in the past of worshiping the Lord. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that today too. But I think that one moment of ten fifteen, the guitar strums, and now I'm supposed to give God everything, mm. and is it necessary for us to worship the Lord uh, in in all of our worshiping singing? No. When we sing, we're supposed to give the Lord all the glory due his name. So there is something where there to to your point, yes, like Scott, like yes, we might be stunting people's spiritual growth in that area. But I also think if we don't consider worship outside of singing as worship, we've also stunted people's growth. Mm -hmm. right? So giving to the Lord, um, responding to his word, even in a conversation with a guy this past Sunday in the lawn, he was feeling this urging to talk to a specific person. Hmm. And I had talked to that specific person two days prior. He had been feeling like he didn't know anybody. And I prayed with him on the phone two days prior on Friday night. Lord, would you help bring the right people to build community for this person? Mm. And so then I, on Sunday, two days later, I'm yeah. talking to this person. He's like, oh, I've just had this person's on my heart. What do you think? And I was like, my goodness, man. Like, if what you don't, cool this is, moment. yeah. So yeah. We pr I want you to know, we prayed for someone, maybe you, to be able to like have an, <laughs> ding, ding. to yeah. have like this desire to help this guy grow in the Lord. Yeah. And I just said to him, I said, follow that urging because mm. that for sure is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You know? 
that's a hard thing to say definitively, but in that sure. moment, it was just like, gosh, 48 hours later, this guy's like, I know his story. I know his past. We're very yeah. similar. Yeah. I want to encourage him. I've learned some things. I want to learn from him. I was like, this is, this is a no, this is a layup. And I, I told him, I said, it might be an act of worship for you to tell God, I trust you enough to just open my mouth and talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we got to be careful with, with the worship language and putting too much on it. On music. On music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also think that, I think it was Napoleon said, uh, give me the keys, give me music in a culture and I'll control it all. Hmm. And I think it's an adaptation of, of what he said. Like, like essentially I could conquer the world by military force or I, just give me your music hmm. and I'll own you. And I, um, I think- It's really scary and- I mean, it's a because sinister because of thing. Its ability to because of its, yeah. em, its emotional connection. Oh, and it's, it's so- you know, the reason that you give a kid an ABC song to teach them the ABCs is because music sticks in your right. mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never forgotten my ABCs ever since I learned that song. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, see how that goes? Yeah, and I think uh, part of the way that the church has used music in the past, especially in worship, I think of the great hymns of the past. I'm, yeah, I'm right. singing random hymns to my kid every night. Like I got a hymn book I'm just flipping through trying to remember how to sight read. I'm learning theology Mm-hmm. or what the theology was of that day yeah. uh, while I'm singing. And that tune gets stuck to the point where my daughter, I'll hear her playing on the piano by ear, remembering mm-hmm. the song that I sang to her last night. Music just sticks with you. So we want to get the gospel to stick with people. Music is an unbelievable tool. And where Daniel and Century Worship are writing more creative hooks that stick with you, just like Taylor Swift, I think that's a that's a win for the gospel, you know. So there's discipleship that happens in that way too. It's yeah. really complicated. What I what I think could be a step too far for us, maybe in what we're comfortable with, is um, watching the NFL and watching Dancing with the Stars. And there's a great performance, or there's a touchdown, and you look in the stands and they're empty, but you hear on the TV this gigantic <laughs> applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, like. It feels hollow. It feels contrived. Mm. It feels yeah. forced. And sometimes I felt the contrived nature of a worship gathering, or that like that such a human desire to have an emotional experience that will do anything to get mm. it. Mm-hmm. And we substitute a work of God for, you know, slick production. Yeah, that's a that's a hard place to be. No, it's good. And at the end of the day, uh, God wants worship, whether we drudge it up emotionally or, or, or not. And I would, I would say, you know, let's, let's, let's move ourselves towards, um, uh, uh, grounded spiritual worship. And that happens throughout the service. Yeah. I I don't know. I'm, we're just looking at the the catechism today. Like that happens in the the law of God. Scott, you're right. The question here today in the catechism is going to push us towards this idea of worship. You want to get us into that? Yeah. I'm going to pull up my app. Uh, do you want to read it while I get it up? Yeah. I got mine over here, trusty, trusty app over here <laughs> on this Apple device. Sorry, I'm using your, Android. Yeah, Apparently, it's slower. Yeah, it, it doesn't catechize the same way. Can't, can't, uh, can't worship God the same way on an Android. <laughs> so we're in question eight, and the the last week we uh, we were talking about what does the law of God require, and it was you know um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Perfect personal uh, perpetual obedience. Um, man, I thought about that so much the past mm. couple of days yeah. and have felt <laughs> inadequate. Yeah, so <laughs> inadequate, man. So inadequate. Yeah. But but at, at the same time, in, encouraged to like mm. attempt, you know, yeah. like that's a good yeah. thing. And so here's a question, question eight. What is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? So essentially it's just like, what are the Ten Commandments? Mm-hmm. Do we want to, we want to just give them right away? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony and you shall not covet just lays them out like first. And it, 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 the first thing that comes to to mind is so interesting is question seven. It's just the law of God. And it states it very plainly like, okay, you love, love God. Yeah. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And 
this is the nature of the Old Testament and how the, the covenants work and how God worked it is it got increasingly more specific. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. Starts broad, goes to the detail. Yeah. Yeah. You shall have no other gods before me. I've never felt like I struggle with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I wonder in the, in the you know, Israel, Israelite experience, if the polytheism of the day and the, the very clear cultural differences between mm-hmm. different nations that live next door. Yeah. Um, we think we live in a tribalized society, but, you know, there's so much that unites us in America that we, we you know, we could each move from city to city and find people who we could worship with, find people yeah. we could do business with, all that stuff. You know, send our kids to schools we probably appreciate. And they were not so back then. And so there was a real danger of losing the the starting point of faith, which is mm. one true God. Yeah. And um, I think... To, to that point, Scott, I, you know, of the of the Old Testament being a little different, I think just the nature of the world back mm-hmm. in the Old Testament was so different because, um, man, I just, I've never thought I struggled with that until Tim Keller told me that my heart is an idol-making factory. Yeah. <laughs> and that I worship all of these different gods mm-hmm. that pale in comparison to yeah. the one true God. Well, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this question and, and just now wondering, we have the first commandment, you shouldn't have any other gods before me. And then second commandment, you shouldn't make any idols of any any, any carved images. What, so what is the difference between a god and an idol? I, and may, maybe it, it comes out of like Old Testament context, their own cultural context. But when I think of gods and when I think, when I think of false gods and I think of idols, they are one and the same in my mind when I think theologically, I do, mm-hmm. I, and I don't have an well, answer. I think to there's this. a practical differentiation, right? One has a form, one has an idea. Um, a God could be, for us, it could be the God of sex, God of money, God of power, God mm-hmm. of pleasure. Um, the idol is the representation of that. So the, mm. the idol is the bank account. The idol mm. is the pornography. The idol is um, certain grades on a report card like the tangible thing that shows you that you worship someone other than Yahweh or Mm. Jesus Christ. Um, And so I think back to even the giving of the 10 commandments, Moses comes down and the people have said, like it's it's inadequate for them to follow a God they can't see. Yes. So they have, like we're such sight people. And this is what I think when Jesus um, talks to Thomas and says, you'll believe because you see. Mm -hmm. But blessed are those who believe even though they don't see. Yeah. And um, how much faith in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, independent of seeing him. That's such an important thing mm-hmm. because I think the fact that we, we it's not blind faith for us. We have a, a historic faith, one that is full of eyewitnesses mm-hmm. who did see him. But I never saw Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't. I, I I've seen pictures of Jesus. Daniel, you got a sweet picture of Jesus on your back porch that the previous <laughs> owner left you. I do hope you, you really? leave it there all the I time. Do. Is it blonde hair, blue eyed? It's a little creepy. Well, it's like <laughs> it's severely weathered, but I think it's legit. Interesting. I don't know. It's but actually Jesus. It's actually yeah. <laughs> but like like to my point, like I don't have this thing that I can say like this year's yeah. Jesus. And, yeah. and I, you know, like the Catholic Church has had catacombs and all these things where they've put. Um, like relics, mm-hmm. like like here's the bones of Peter or here's whatever. Mm-hmm. And that becomes some sort of thing to them, almost idolatrous. Mm. Um, and so I think what, what, what it's getting at is when you don't take things that are fashioned f- from anything in heaven or on the earth or beneath or in the waters below the created realm, yeah. you are acknowledging that there's someone higher than anything that could be material. Yeah. That would be how I would venture venture an answer to that. It, this okay. This is interesting because this was actually uh, a topic of conversation that we had at our kickoff out of uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, the The passage was John fourteen nineteen, and it 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 began as Jesus telling his disciples, um, in not so many words, that there is a time when the when I will be gone from the world, but you will still see me. Yeah, and it goes on. It says because. I live, you also will live. So there is like a physical 
loss of, of the person of Jesus. But then he goes on to continue to remind them that I, mm. I will manifest myself to you. So no, we don't have like a physical representation of Jesus, but I had a lot of students saying, okay, well, well what does that mean? I, like Jesus isn't here, but, but it says that he is. Yeah. What, what do you guys think? How would you maybe take a shot at that question? How do we see the manifestation of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus here today, even though he's not physically with us? So that this is a, um, uh, an, an excellent question. And my, my answer is not, we don't have time to answer it. The Cop book, of, no, the book <laughs> of John does so much with sight. John is incredibly interested. And this is the guy who also wrote first, second, third John and revelation. What is revelation except for a vision Visions, of something yeah. that John nine is one of those crux to the sight thing where, where a man born blind living in sin receives his sight at the end of the whole entire chapter. He authenticates, Jesus authenticates his experience and his faith by saying, um, the person that you're talking to, you have seen him. There's this like, there's this awakening, like mm-hmm. you can call it woke or whatever you want to call it, but, but there's this awakening. You can call it that. Yeah. This I'm not cool style. enough to use it. It's not woke in like the social justice sense term, but like in this, 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 I didn't know who Jesus was. And now yeah. I'm like awake to the reality yeah. of it. And that's a spirit work. When Jesus says that he's acknowledging the Holy Spirit coming, right? Because then he's going to tell, say, I'm going to send the helper, mm-hmm. right? I think he says in John 14 as well, yes, 14, yeah. um, to say that helper is going to come. And what is a helper's job? is to bring to remembrance all the things that Jesus has taught us Mm -hmm. and to convince us that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Mm -hmm. John writes his whole entire gospel so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and by believing you may have eternal life in his name. That's Mm -hmm. the whole thesis of the book of John. And so it's this idea of faith without sight but but sight that becomes faith. Mm -hmm. It's this, it's man, I could talk about the the book of John forever. (laughs) It's one of my... One of my absolute favorites. Um, I think God manifests Himself through uh, through through people mm. as well. Like I know that uh, in my life, when 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 I think about just, I mean, you know, the, you know those people who, who yeah. God is just filled with the Holy Spirit, and they are in love with His Word. It's like it's like looking into the face of Jesus. Mm. Uh, Parker Douglas uh, is is one of those guys for me. Where like I see him, and I just I see the joy of the Lord just all all over him. Yeah. And it convicts me and it points me closer to Jesus. Um, and yeah, so I, th- I think God, I think God definitely uses, uh, people, yeah. um, to point to himself. People in his church, right? Absolutely. Like I, I think that's another physical manifestation of, of Jesus, even though he's not physically with us. Yeah. Jesus is here in, in his followers and he's here in the, the, the church. That in my mind is one of the greatest, arguments for gathering together with God's people mm. on a weekly basis is because it's a, the, the local church is, is the physical representation of the invisible church, right? The, the church where, uh, which is made up of people from all times across all nations, mm-hmm. across all generations who believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the definition of the mm-hmm. invisible church or the universal church. And the local church is that made visible, right? <laughs> Just that, that being seen. And when we come together and we worship and when we, you know, together repeat the Ten Commandments or just this this affirmation that we worship the one true God, we are mm-hmm. fulfilling the words of Jesus saying, you will see me and and you'll be my witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is someone who saw something. It's it's all about sight. It's yeah. it's it's I had this experience. This is from my perspective, which is another sight word, from my perspective, how this happened. Yeah. And, and what it's done to me. And so I think for sure. I also want to say communion is this, mm. is this other, you know, we talked about worship in all yeah, senses that's earlier. That's, what, that's what's so powerful about communion. Even though it, it could be a very simple mundane task. You know, we've got all these people bringing grape juice and crackers to church these days. Uh, and it might feel like such a huge buildup. And then we take it and drink it and it's not, yeah. you know, it's a small thing. But you're tasting it, you're you're touching it, and you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's this. It's this reminder, and I, I don't know what this. What the story of the Ten Commandments reminds me of, uh, or what it points me to, rather, um, is just how how easy we are to forget. And I think that's another argument for our Sunday morning gatherings: is that man, yeah. we are we are fooling ourselves if we think that you know we just we just have all the info that we just got it mm-hmm. um, that we don't need to be reminded of it because just a few, you know, short 
verses yep. before this, they were being led out of slavery yeah. mm -hmm. for however many hundred years. Right. And the ocean was parted for them yeah. and they were led. And just mm -hmm. a few, a few short verses after that, they just, they forget. Yeah. And then God still has to lead them by a pillar of fire and they mm -hmm. still forget. Yeah. And it's just this, this constant tug and pull of the people who forget and have to be reminded. So when we meet on Sunday mornings, um, it's like, man, I, you can't fool yourself. If you're yeah. like, man, I, I'm, oh, I'm too good to be, to be reminded of how good God is or how real God is or how relevant God is in my yeah. life. Like, man, the, the, this story points us to like, nope, we, we mm -hmm. have to be reminded of how good and how relevant and how real our God is. When, as we talked about last week, it, it points us to our inability, right? Yeah. As we continue to get more specific, if you couldn't do perfect, per, you know, personal, per, perpetual, whatever, perpetual yeah. obedience, well, here are 10 out of a list. Yeah. You know, can you do the... By the way, honor your father and mother yes. is in there, which yeah. Americans, good luck, right? <laughs> um, hey, how about this? Uh, you know, Moses, great Moses. Uh, how do you think he felt hearing the Ten Commandments? when God said, tell the people you shall not murder mm. when it was public knowledge that he was a murderer. Mm. I mean, I just, I, I think I've even, never thought about that. I've never really thought about even that. Even in the sense, I mean, here's a guy who is up on the mountain face glowing, coming back down himself being condemned mm -hmm. by this himself needing the grace of God. Yeah. And, and I think even in the fact that God chooses an imperfect person to deliver yep. his perfect law shows us that God had figured out a way to make sure that imperfect people could be made whole again. Mm. And I think that's a blessing. I know we'll get there in the coming coming weeks. Um, you'll have to stay with us, listeners, to get there. Um, but some good things for us to chew on and think about. And I hope uh, this coming Sunday, uh, brothers and sisters, you come to church ready to worship the Lord through singing, and we'll make much of it. And 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 uh, we promise we won't have speakers set up in the back that are amplifying the people <laughs> in the front left and the whatnot. There's, there's no trickery here, no Dancing with the Stars worship style stuff going on here. Um, but seriously, the lady from uh, Tiger King is on Dancing with the Stars. And I yeah. just want to drop Which, it in there. And she's simultaneously being under investigation hey, on like another no thing. ABC's <laughs> powerful. It's a, ABC's powerful. Love it. <laughs> Well, um, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you listeners for staying with us. And um, we hope that this has been a helpful conversation for you just to think a little differently. In the midst of all the chaos going on in the world today, you can think theologically and deeply about your own heart. And, um, and I wonder from you, if you drop us a line on the Following Face podcast Facebook page, um, let us know what you're thinking about and what this conversation uh, brought to your mind as well. Until next time, we will see you later. Well, it's my distinct honor to introduce our guest that we have here on the Following Faith Podcast. Um, Scott, the first time I ever met this guy, um, he had just finished telling me he was a professional boxer, but he had his <laughs> hands in his pockets. And I thought to myself, for sure, I could get a swing off on this guy and he, would, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to stop me. It's uh, Ed Ochoa. Hey, Ed, how are you, man? I'm not doing too bad. How are you doing, Pastor? I'm good. I'm good. Just concealed carry, Dan. Just concealed carry. Hands yeah. in the pockets. <laughs> hey, do you remember that moment up at the, uh, it was at the front of our auditorium and you were standing there and I looked at you and I was like, man, the sarcastic side of me just wants to see if I get a swing off on you. Do you remember what you said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you go. I, I, I think I said something along the lines. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. Or something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what you said. You're like, don't please, please don't. Dan, and I'm trying to picture you. I'm trying to picture you in a ring, like in a ring right now. And it's not coming, man. It's, no, it's, it's not, not coming. coming, man. No, never. Are you kidding me? The boxing gloves are the size of my head, dude. For sure. And, uh, you've been, you've been a part of the Holbert community for quite some time as well as the HP community too. And so we want to just take a second to get to know you a little bit. Uh, you had a pretty um, incredible career as a boxer, and I'd love to just know more about that. Um, how, how did you even get into boxing? Like, what was the story there? Well, I mean, when I was little, I think I was like five, and my father forced us to play every sport pretty much. I played <laughs> basketball, football, baseball, soccer, you know, since I was about five. Because I was forced to do everything else, I didn't start boxing until I was 18, it was like a fluke thing. Um, 
one of my buddies asked me to go to a gym that Miguel Torres, the uh, he's a UFC fighter, uh, he's a bantamweight champion, uh, but not at the time. At okay, the time, yeah. we were about the same age. We we're about we we're about the same age, eighteen, nineteen. But he was running classes at the Roberto Clemente gym in East Chicago, and my my friend asked me to go to go there. I'm like, all right, I'll go check it out. And uh, I, I was getting in fights all the time, I, you know, since I was little. Yeah, you know, I would fight all the time. You know, I would never start them. <laughs> <laughs> would you finish but, uh, them? I imagine that was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I finished them, but I never started them. So, okay. um, but uh, you know, he asked me to go, and I checked it out, and you know, I ended up sparring my friend the first day, and I just beat the mess out of him. I felt really bad. <laughs> it, 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 it was very sloppy. Like it, it yeah. was, yeah, it was like you know pretty much like street fight, you know, kind of thing. And, and then at, at the end, you know, Miguel, you know, he asked, you know, anybody want to stay, stay behind and, uh, and, and spar a little bit more. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I remember the first jab he threw at me, the glove looked like it was just humongous Jeez. and <laughs> caught me right in the nose, man. And my nose is like, it bleeds, you know, all the time. So when he, when he hit me with that, I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he ended up throwing a little, a little amateur show, you know, at the place, and you know, I fought, you know, a little non-sanctioned amateur fight, and I ended up beating the guy in like 20 seconds. But like I said, it was, it was just sloppy. It was like, you know, I was fighting on the street. After that, you know, I kind of got, you know, I was going, I was going, you know, and then, you know, my wife Christina, at the time she was pregnant at the time, so then I was like, you know, do I do this? Or, you know, I probably have to go to work, you know. So I went to work for like <laughs> four years and I was working like, you know, 15 hour days, you know, to, you know, support everyone and get her through school. When she got her degree, she said, well, you can do whatever you want to do. And I quit my job that same day and went back to the gym. So you, you spent about 16, 16, 17 years as a, as a boxer. Is that right? My pro career started in 2005, and my last fight was 2018, so yeah. What is a, what is a, I mean, pardon my own ignorance, but what does a pro career consist of? Is it just setting up fights and setting up, you know, different, different bouts and, and being able to um, go from one weekend to the next, or is it longer intervals with lots of training? How does that all work? In my mind, I got a picture of you and Rocky Balboa kind of just like <laughs> pounding the egg yolks and running to the top of the Capitol building. Like, yeah, no, it like I, that? I mean, yeah, I mean, pretty much, but, um, <laughs> all the training you see in Rocky is, you know, that's legit training. You know, it's not, that's the only thing not fake about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But no, yeah, we have, uh, you know, we have a manager. Well, my manager and promoter were all the same same guy. He owned the gym. It was a pro gym. He would, you know, we we just train. You know, we would just train, and then you know, he'd he'd look for fights, and he he have a, a matchmaker, and the matchmaker would you know try and find uh, people that would come out and fight, or you know, we had to try and go somewhere else. You know, try and find us somewhere else to fight. Yeah, I think about I think about boxing as a as a career, and like you went in and trained as as a job. Like that's that's what you did. Could could you tell us a little bit about what what is the the work culture like in boxing? What what were the guys like? What was it like to be around? You know, most of us we go and we sit at a desk all day, and uh, we got people around us. But but what were the what were the guys like? What was your what was your manager like? So the manager, you know, Octavius James, uh, rest in peace. Um, he actually passed away at the age of thirty six in two thousand nine. Well, but he was he was a very people person. You know, he was one of the guys get get gab. You know, um, <laughs> always took care of people. He had money, you know, which is one thing that he needed to, because he didn't charge. He didn't, he didn't charge like us pros to to come to the gym. Wow. As far as the guys go, like he he was awesome. Like, he only came out when he had to come out, you know. And uh, it was basically my trainer that I was with all the time, Jack Callahan. He's a Hammond firefighter. He actually had a pro career. He was uh, I don't want to get it wrong, but he was he had probably like thirty fights. Maybe lost two, wow. um, but he's the the strongest sixty year old man I know. Um, and uh, I would train with him. He, I, we would go to the gym. Uh, we would go to the fire station and you know climb the the fire ladder <laughs> uh, up and down. You know, there's so many things that we did. Um, I remember the first day I went into the to the gym. He's like, uh, yeah. He introduced himself. He's like, hey, what do you what do you want to do? What are you thinking about? 
I'm like, I want to spar. It's the first thing I did. <laughs> I wanted to do when I walked into a pro gym. He's like, you know, there's all pros in here. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I've, I've been watching, I've been watching these guys fight for actually a while before I even went to this gym. So I went to the gym and, and I sparred his guy, uh, Johnny Novak, who was pretty decent. And man, we just, we just went to war. <laughs> I think it was like six rounds. We just went to war and, and uh, he's like, man, this kid's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Is boxing the type of thing where you can, you know, choreograph what you want to do, get somebody in a position and then take, you know, take your shots or, or is it really you're, you're flying at it and whatever happens, happens. I mean, you know, no, asking no, for a friend. Is a, it is a chess match. Yeah. It is, it is 80% mental. Only, you know, only 20% is the physical, you know, like we always say that, you know, in, in the gym, that's, that's where all the hard work is. The fight's easy. What what would some things be that you were looking for to help uh, get yourself that advantage or to get your opponent into the position where you could uh, really make your mark? I don't even know so, how to talk so about boxing. Guys, like you know, <laughs> beat the the crud out of him. Punch him in the face. I think. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, so, a technical term. <laughs> so, so most the majority of the guys, you know, the guys, the, the good guys, the ones that you see like and you're on TV, the, the favorite guy. You know, they they go with a, with some kind of game plan. I never liked watching clips of people that I was going to fight because, you know, it's not me that they're fighting. But what we usually do is, like I said, it's a chess match. So you kind of like feel them out a little bit. You throw certain punches at them, see how they react to them, um, and then use it later. So, so much of what you're saying, I as a pastor think about our, you know, the Christian life is called a fight, right? Fight the good fight is what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. How have, have you ever seen in your own life there, there be lessons you learn in the boxing ring that were also like spiritual lessons that, that, you know, you, you came to church and the pastor was talking about something and you're like, yeah, I do that in the boxing ring or, you know, came up in life that, you know, the Lord used those lessons to teach you something. That's, that's funny. <laughs> it's funny you say that. So I never heard really anything in church that, uh, reflected on, on that, but I tell people this all the time. I have this weird, not a weird relationship with God, but like, like we're on this, like we're, we, we know each other, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I don't know how to explain that, but um, so I used to always pray because, you know, I only had three amateur fights. One of the reasons was that I was already 21, I think, when I when I started, like, doing sanctioned amateur fights. And because I was so old already, like, you know, parents wouldn't want their 17-year-old, 16-year-old fighting a, tw- a grown man, you know? Yeah. That was the first part. And I always pray, like, you know, if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, just let me know. Or, you know, if I, if I need to move up already, you know, I, I figured I was already in a pro gym. You know, I'm, all, all, I'm sparring all pros. Um, you know, it can't be that difficult, you know. So I ended up, you know, I prayed on it. And then, you know, I said, you know what, I think I'm going to do it. I talked to, talked to Christina. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, we'll do it. And then we went down and talked to Octavius, you know, made a contract. We signed it. And that was that. But. Even even in the pro career, it was the same same thing. It was you know cause because I was just I was knocking everybody out. It was hard for me to get fights. So and I was working this whole time. So when when when, when Christina said I can stop working, I did, and that only lasted for like four months. Yeah, and I was like, you know what, this isn't you know I'm not, I'm not fighting yet. You know, so I, I need to work. So I actually worked. What was your record, Ed? If you mind sharing. My final that with record. Is- 12 and 2, uh, 11 knockouts. 11 Jeez. knockouts. 12 and 2, so yeah. 14 fights. Yeah. 14 fights over that many years, is, is uh, that's, that's a lot more fights than most people have. And to be able to do 12 and 2, that's a pretty stellar record. Yeah, it could it could have been even more stellar, but this is, this is the part where God comes in, right? So, so I made it all the way 10 and 0, 10 knockouts, and I ended up uh, going somewhere else. It was Ohio, and in hindsight, I would have done this. But so normally, when you when you would, when you would have a fight, you have a weigh in the day before. Um, you weigh in whatever you have to weigh, and then you get to put your weight back on all the water. You, know, you get to put back in your system, uh, fill up your muscles, you know, with the water. And uh, but in Ohio, they don't do that. It's same day waiting. We were supposed to weigh in at ten o'clock in the morning, and we didn't end up weighing in until like three hours before the fight. And I think this is part of the, this is what happens when you go to somebody else's place. I think they did that on purpose. Now, I felt good. I still felt good in the fight, but I only gained three pounds. And normally I would gain 15. <laughs> yeah. You know, so 
I was I was I was winning, but I wasn't able to take a, a shot. Right. Which is which is very odd. Yeah. Uh, they didn't hurt, but you know they were like they were giving you, we call them flash knockdowns where you get knocked down and you know you you're fine. You get up and you keep going. Um, anyway, so that was the first one. That was that was actually my first loss right there. And then the second one, it was just everyone everyone thinks I won the fight. I think I won the fight, but you know the other guy was just busy. You know what I mean? So yeah, that was that. So after that fight, that was in October of 2011. In December, I get I get injured at work at my actual job. So I, I hurt my back. And um, you're telling me all this time that, you were fighting in the ring and you got injured at your at your actual job. What are <laughs> that's, what are the odds? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> so. Uh, so two weeks after I get injured, I get the call that every boxer wants, you know, to come fight at Madison Square Garden. Man. And uh, I had to turn it down because I had a crushed disc. Yeah. And uh, that was actually under, I don't know if you know boxers very well, but this is when, uh, like, De La Hoya and Miguel Cotto and Sugar Shane Mosley, they were all the big big timers. Yeah, for sure. I watched and a lot of ESPN was, back then. <laughs> Uh, for for yeah. yeah, so it was it was I was supposed to fight on the undercard of Mosley Cotto, I believe it was, yeah. and uh, yeah, that was the call. So that was that was one of the things that, that that's where God comes in, right? So this mm-hmm. is where he's like, I think he was like showing me like, yeah, you know, I really don't want you doing this, but <laughs> this is this is the way I got to show you. Uh, the other stuff was like, you know, I would break my hand, you know, a lot, and that was kind of odd. Um, so so many things were like, I think it was two months before my first professional fight, I broke my hand and I still fought, but, um, and then I think it was like my first six round fight. I broke my hand in the third round and fought three, three more rounds with just my left hand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then he broke my back. (laughs) (laughs) So, so it was just one of the things, you know, because I couldn't, you know, like my my fights weren't coming in. You know, Octavius passed away in 2009, mm-hmm. and once that happened, everything started going down. So, between 2005 and 2009, I fought uh, ten times. After that, I only fought twice. See what I'm saying? Right. And then, so after that, I thought it was I thought it was over. I thought I was done. Um, I gained 40 pounds after I had two back surgeries. Wasn't feeling it. Doctors had me on crazy medicine. I was like a zombie. There's just a lot of things. And then finally, you know, it was when Jaden, my, you know, you guys know Jaden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he asked me, one day he asked me, he wanted to go to the gym. And I looked at him, I was like, the boxing gym? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. I said, okay. And when that happened, that kind of gave me like a little, little fire. A little spark. You know, so... So I went and I, I took him and I went and I, I worked out and uh, I was hurting for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, so then, so then I was playing this game, you know, or I was, I was talking myself into it and then I talked myself out of it. And once I speak something, I, I have to do it. Like if I say, I'm going to buy this car, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. I have to do it. I was taught, like, one of my, my uncles, one of my uncles is one, he kind of like drilled it in me. You tell somebody you're going to do something, you do it. And I told people I was going to come back and fight. And uh, it took it took probably two years to get my body just just prepared for boxing training. And uh, and then another couple of years, and, and uh, I still didn't know probably five months before my last fight that I was, was going to fight in that you know in december and uh finally i was like you know what yeah i'll do it and that was it i came back and did it i did it three weight classes heavier because i wasn't getting back down to 147. i thought i looked like really sloppy but people said i looked really good man they haven't thought, i don't know if they just didn't watch my other fights before, before. <laughs> I, I, I thought i thought i looked sloppy but i beat the guy in like uh there was like three seconds left in the first round but I didn't have the same uh, same drive after that. I mean, I was I was older. I was 36 years old, you know, and uh, I wasn't 29 anymore, you know. So it was like uh, I felt good, but I didn't have the same drive to 
Oh yeah, I got to do this again. Is there a moment where you think to yourself, like, man, what could have been? I- I'm sure those years where you're fighting back yeah. and you got that call to to do MSG, man, that that's like um, that's that's a huge moment. Um, we all have yeah. in our lives these dreams, and I think that one boxing at Madison Square Garden. You don't have to be a boxer to know that that's like the mecca of the boxing world. Yeah. Um, how, walk us through like those days where where you physically weren't able to, and you were, you know, maybe emotionally down. How how, how did the Lord show up to you in those moments? I think He made me, me mentally strong. Hmm. And the reason I say this because there's you know there's it's kind of like in my family where the mental aspect is not 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 as strong as mine. And I thought I was in a, I thought I was in, like some aspects I do have it, you know, but I can, I can fight it. You know what I mean? I can fight the, the wanting to, to stop or wanting to give up or, you know, I, you know, I don't have any of this. I, he just, he calmed me. He broke me a couple of times in, in, in high school. Yeah. I got kicked out when I was a freshman, uh, from a public school, just from, you know, I had a problem with authority, you know. But when I was in when I was in high school, you know, he kind of he kind of broke me. You know, when you come down to the altar and you know, you know, the, the preacher asks you if you want to come down to the altar and pray and and the man for people for me for me to to just bust out bawling in the middle of the uh, in the pews and walking up there and everyone's like, what's wrong with him? You know? mm, that, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, and it was just and it it, it was just because you know. Um, I just know I needed to, I needed to get that chip, what that chip off, you know. Um, it comes from from a few different things, but I just needed to get that chip off and just, just be. And I think that's when he started calming me. You know, I, <laughs> I remember when I was with when I was with Christina. You know, when we started, we were we were eighteen, so. I still had kind of a little, you know, I had a, I had a short fuse, but I wasn't, I wasn't the same, you know, I was, I was better. And, uh, throughout our years, we've been together 20 years. So throughout our years, I was, I was, I was asking like, did I turn into a punk? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, man, cause you know, 10 years ago, man, this dude would have, you know, been talking to me like that. You know, I would have been, you know, just on it. And, and she was like, no, you just grew up. <laughs> just grew up. I was like, yeah, probably, I guess. It's so yeah, thing. like, it, so now it takes a lot. It takes a life. If I if if I get to that point, then it you know somebody did something, you know, pretty bad. Yeah, and I think uh, when I when I hear you say earlier, you said um, you know me and the Lord, we got an interesting relationship. Like we just we know each other. Um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that you would say that. It actually reminds me a lot of the story from the old Testament when, uh, another guy who maybe also had, um, you know, a a chip on his shoulder named Jacob wrestled with God Mm -hmm. all night and, and God put him on his back and took out his hip. Right. And, uh, the dude walked, the dude walked with a limp the rest of his life. And that, that limp essentially said, um, yeah, God knows me and I know him. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be dependent on him the rest of my life. It, it doesn't surprise me that in the midst of your story, that similar experience of just, um, you know, just the, the, the actual physical process of boxing and, and, and going through that training and, and working out uh, just the, the things in your own life, you call it a chip, you know, that the Lord would, would reveal himself to you through all of that. So you're, you're done now with boxing. That's kind of behind you. It's, it, you had um, great moments, low moments. Now you've got in your in Hobart you you um you run your own gym. Uh, yeah. Tell us about that, man. You're training guys almost every night of the week, right? You know, after after my fight, um, I I just knew that I I did not because I haven't worked for somebody since 2016, um, and uh, I just could not see myself working for somebody. And Christina actually, she's like, you know, I have to train people. And I was like, you know, I, I don't know. I really don't. Uh, I've, I've been trained my whole life in every sport that I've done. I've been, I was always trained. I never really thought about training people. I just, I didn't know if I would like it. Um, 
I knew I knew I was I was good with people, but I just didn't know if I would like doing that, you know. Yeah. Um, so I said, you know, what? I'll tell you what, you you could be. She was my first. She was my first client. <laughs> <laughs> so I start I started with her, and I was like, you know what? If I can train her, I can train anybody, because she battles me every step of the way. She's questioning everything that I do. <laughs> um, Oh yeah, you guys ultimate know. test. That's great. Start start with the hardest so question, case. Great. Yeah, question everything I do. You know, there was uh, telling me nope, so I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I you know, and I trained her, and um, and then I would, uh, I was like, all right, I, I'll, I'll like just take it slow, you know, and I started like just throwing it out there to you know some of my family members and getting them to get the the word out and. I started doing like um, uh, I would go to people people's houses. I would I would do mobile at first because my garage is nothing like it looks now. I, I was I would do mobile, and um, actually, yeah. After my wife Mark Mark Itel, I think that's how he pronounces his last name. Yeah. He uh, he came to me in in Hammond Boxing Club because that's where I trained. Uh, he tra- he came to me one day. He said, "Hey." Um, I, yeah, I never talked to him. I don't even remember signing an autograph for him. Um, but he was like, hey, you know, I've been to, uh, and I've always seen him there, but he's like, yeah, but I've been to a few of your fights, and you actually signed this, and he brought, he brought a photo of, my, of myself. So you signed this for me at one of your fights, and I was wondering if you, you know, you'd be interested in, in training me. Because I think he saw, like, a video or, or something. I mentioned something about training my wife. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, yeah, I'll, I'll try it out. So this is like three years ago, and we had a little section in my garage. I mean, I'm talking like maybe three foot by five foot. Okay. <laughs> Inside my garage, and and I would I would start training them there, and, and I would do like mobile. I would go to people's houses, and and I would take a bunch of equipment to their house, and I would train people there. And then one of my good my good buddies, Dave Martin the Third, he's a he's a heavyweight uh, professional boxer. Um, he mentioned to me about the World Gym in Highland. That you know he he's good with the manager there. There's a little room in the back that you know they have bags and we can talk to her. So we ended up going and talking to her and making a deal there. So I would go there a couple a, a few nights a week, train people there, go to people's houses. Train Mark here, train my wife, and I just started, you know, little by little, just tearing down my garage and and putting it back together. I, I moved bags so many times in here, <laughs> tires. Uh, another another blessing, you know, that I I have to give to God is uh, when I was at World Gym. Um, towards the end, out of nowhere, they're like, "We're closing this facility down." There's not enough. There's not enough people coming, and I was like, "Oh, okay." So they start. Uh, so Letty, uh, she that's the manager. She gives me the call. She's like, "Hey, we're uh, we gotta close this place down. Did, did you wanna? Did you want any of this stuff here?" And I was like, "Probably. Let me go take a look." So we go. I'm like, "Yeah, I'll probably take these bags, you know." And uh, you know, I had to buy all this stuff, but yeah, I'll take the bags and. How about the floor? You know, and I would make this deal. Do I tell you not? And uh, it was like it just happened at the right time, and it's wild how things work like that. You're spending time. Um, you know, it was a bunch of the guys from our campus are, uh, you know, actually working out with you and and really enjoying it. One day, you know, Scott and I will find some time to uh, to to, to go know, get beat up. To go get beat up. Yeah. That's exactly right. You know, remember you know, what you I'll said about. Be- Working out and hurting for two weeks. You know it would be awesome (laughs) if you guys did like a fundraiser for the church. How hard can Pastor Dan get punched? Is that the fundraiser? This doesn't sound fun. People would totally come out for that. We're we're, we're two two campus uh, uh, Oh, Scott, you're totally roped into this. Put on the headgear. Would we fight other campuses? (laughs) Could we fight other campuses? Yeah. I would put us up against yeah, CP. I don't want to fight Dexter Harris, and I don't want to fight oh, Mark yeah. Colton. So essentially <laughs> oh, anyone oh, from the Crown Point campus would be fine, just not the other campuses. They're too scrappy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is what we'll do. This is what we'll do, Ed. You'll you'll get me in fighting shape to uh, take on Mark Colton. And Mark, it's up to him to find someone else to to figure out. Who, <laughs> and we won't uh, tell Mark. Yeah, we won't also yeah. tell Mark that this is happening. No, but so so you're people. you're training dudes, and uh, and I'm just curious. Has it opened up an opportunity for you to, get to know people better? And and I, I know uh, whenever guys guys are you know moving physical kinetic guys anyway. We, we we do our best life when we're not just sitting in a room talking. And, uh, yeah. and so I bet, you know, training guys has been just a great way for you to encourage, encourage people, build friendships and whatnot. Is that true? Yeah. 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 And it actually brings, it brings a lot to, to, to myself as well. Like, you know, just knowing people, like a lot of people that I get here, you know, they own their own businesses and it's like, a, it just opens up a different door to help each other out if need be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Just the ways like that. And Nick, Nick Stevens, um, yeah. when he comes, when he comes, he's always the, the last one to show up and the last one to leave. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> so I, I call him Sir Talks a lot because he yeah. likes to talk. Uh, so, um, we'll, but, we'll leave this edited in so that Nick can hear it. <laughs> yeah. But, but at the, but at the end, at the end of every one of them, you know, he, uh, everyone leaves and he's, he's dripping sweat, man. Like this, this dude sweats. Um, and, and he, you know, he's drying himself off and, and he gets into, you know, I, I, I might say something, I say something, you know, it, it could be, you know, any sentence, you know, I, I might say something. He goes, well, you know what? That goes back to like, you know, Job or this, this goes back to, you know, this guy or this guy. And, uh, and he'll, he'll bring, you know, he does that. So I, you know, I have a different relationship with, with, every single different person you know, and they all bring something different. And then that's one thing that he brings to me is that, that I like is that he, he, you know, he, he pulls something that I say and it's like, yeah, this is kind of like, you know, Isaac or this is kind of like, you know, David and, you know, and, uh, and he'll go through a whole, a whole, uh, thing yeah. from the Bible. And, um, I think that's good for me. Um, cause I, I'm not, I'm not one to, uh, I can't, I've read the Bible in high school because I had to, Sure, but when I when I read it doesn't it doesn't uh, take you know what I sure, mean sure sure like because I'll read a sentence and when I get to the second one I'll forget what the first one said you sure. know what I mean like my brain doesn't work like that so I have to like uh, hear it sometimes I have to hear it and read it at the same time you know it's uh I, I learned I learned different but but having the whole person in front of me talking to me and 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 taking something that I say and then putting it into a uh, biblical perspective is, is what kind of what sticks with me. If that makes sense. Absolutely. You know what that reminds me of to do that thing that you're just talking about. It reminds me of that part of the Bible where it says as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. And mm-hmm. uh, I know you're sharpening a bunch of dudes physically, mentally, uh, and spiritually, as well as them doing the same for you. So it's a, it's a super cool thing. Ed, it's been awesome to uh, talk with you. Our time here, uh, sadly, has come to an end. But um, we're grateful just to hear your stories of um, you know growing up and learning how to fight and learn how to box and the spiritual lessons throughout all that. It's super cool. And we're grateful for the work that God's doing in your life and through you. And uh, you're just such a blessing to our community, and, and we hope you know that, man. Uh, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to to walk us through a little bit of what it's like to be you. No problem at all, man. I appreciate you guys having me. All right, Ed, we, uh, we appreciate you, brother, and we will see you around. Listeners, thanks for uh, tuning in. As always, this is the Following Faith Co- Podcast, and we hope that this uh, conversation has helped you uh, think about how you can follow Christ further. <laughs>